Well, it'd be great if you could keep that passage open and we're going to reflect on that. Obviously, there are some very heavy things in there. Let's pray that God would help us to think about it uh, with open minds and open hearts. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to think well and wisely uh, about this word to us tonight. We pray that we would understand it, uh, trust in it and apply it and relying on it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my successes as a parent has been successfully interesting my children in the 1960s sitcom classic television program, Get Smart. Now, if you've never seen Get Smart, it features the uh, American government spy agency known as Control, who protect all things good against the forces of evil, which are usually um, the works of uh, chaos, uh, an international undercover organisation of evil. Now, the head of Control is a guy called The Chief, and the hero or anti-hero uh, for Control is Secret Agent 86, Maxwell Smart. Now, in most episodes, in, in fact, probably every episode, The Chief sends out Max on some mission. And when uh, The Chief is briefing Max, he'll usually say something like, Max, chaos are ruthless, cold-blooded killers. On this mission, you will face the possibility of violent death at any moment. Your life will be in extreme danger all the time. To which Max would reply, and loving it. That was Max. Now, the thing up here was, though, that you could rely on the chief to give it to you straight. There was no beating around the bush. There was no sugarcoating. There was no spin-doctoring. Now, I wonder whether you like it when people give it to you straight, that you get some straight talk, things which aren't sugar-coated or marketed. Well, usually straight talk is best if we really want to understand about something or other, get it clear in our minds, uh, understand the reality of things. Now, in today's passage, Jesus engages in some really straight talking and he introduces the topic of persecution, something his followers will encounter as they promote the good news about Jesus in this world. Now, this teaching which was read to us uh, initially occurred within the context of Jesus sending out his 12 disciples on a little mini mission. Uh, but, uh, and some of the things described and warned about in this passage, presumably or perhaps happened during that mission. But many of the things warned about, certainly we know did happen uh, to the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection. When they were spreading the Gospel in the book of Acts, we see that many of these things warned about come to pass for them. But the passage isn't just of interest to Jesus' original disciples, it also gives us insight into what all Christians who promote the Gospel at any time in history can, may and are likely to face. Now, um, in Get Smart, when the chief talked straight with Max and gave him some warnings about what was about to take place, he also then usually offered some assistance and in Get Smart it was usually assistance in the form of, you know, here's a secret weapon or here's a shoe phone or, you know, some other weird and wonderful device. Jesus, when he's giving us his straight talk, he warns us, he gives us assistance but also encouragement and warnings, assistance and encouragement is what Jesus' followers needed then and it's also what you and I need today, particularly as we live in a society which is getting progressively a little bit more and more anti-Christian. So, these words will be very helpful for us. 
Now, as you would know, we're continuing our Term 4 series in the book of Matthew, when we're up to chapter 10, we're looking at verses 16 to 42. Hopefully, many of you picked up the handout on the way in. And I want to think about the passage in three parts. Firstly, the first third of the passage under the heading, Don't Be Surprised. Then the middle part of the passage under the heading, uh, Don't Be Afraid. And then the final part of the passage under the heading, Don't Lose Heart. So that's where we're going. Let's start by thinking about, don't be surprised, in verses 16 to 23. Question, I wonder whether you are ever tempted to think that if you know the Gospel and can explain it clearly, that if you pray, if that you're a nice person, you're a good bloke, if you have really good social skills, so you're sort of sensitive and attuned to the mental states of people you're with and who you're talking to, do you think that if you have all those skills, that when people find out that you're a Christian, that they won't oppose you? And do you think that when you actually start talking about your faith, do you think everyone is going to politely listen to you? Well, if you have that expectation, it is an unrealistic expectation. You see, Jesus warns His followers in verse 16, the first verse of the passage tonight, He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus' disciples then, and any of us, which I hope is most different, hopefully it's all of us, I don't know, but many of us uh, who are disciples today, we are like sheep among wolves uh, as well. We're not sheep amongst playful puppies, or to get out of the metaphor, we're not Christians in a world full of eager, interested inquirers, although there are eager, interested inquirers, we're sheep amongst wolves, and that's actually a bit sobering, isn't it? Now, Jesus' straight talk continues later in the passage in verses 24 and 25, where He indicates that since He was persecuted, so too will His followers, like us, be persecuted as well. We're looking at chapter 10, but in chapter 9, if you remember a few weeks back, you may recall that Jesus has been accused of blasphemy by the religious leaders. Jesus has been accused also in chapter 9 of being, in effect, possessed by the devil. You know, how does He exercise all these demons? Well, it's because he has the prince of demons in him, he's demon-possessed, it's been accused of. And then Jesus says, in verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. What happens to the teacher is likely to happen to the student as well. He says in verse 25, if the head of the house, let's say Jesus here, has been called Beelzebub, which in effect he had been, how much more the members of his household, his followers? The point here is, if it happened to Jesus, it can happen to us. Now, when we as Christians face opposition for our faith, sometimes it is because we've been a bit arrogant or rude or insensitive, in which case, if there's a bit of kickback for that, probably fair enough. But even when we are never arrogant, rude or insensitive, or if we aren't in a particular situation, we may still get kickback and that's what Jesus warns us may happen. We should expect to be opposed at times, it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. And this opposition, the passage makes clear, can come from a variety of sources. It can sometimes come from religious sources. So, in verse 17, uh, Jesus says, be on your guard, you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 4 and 5, Jesus' followers do get, end up being dragged before the local religious leaders. Verse 18, 
says, this could be secular opposition, it says, on my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapters 24, 25 and 26, he's dragged before secular rulers. And opposition can even come from within one's own family. Verse 21 says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will, will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Now, all these sorts of oppositions from religious authorities, from secular authorities and from families are still around today in various parts of the world uh, and even in Australia. So, there is the warning from the first part of the passage. But, Jesus then provides some assistance and some encouragement. And the first one is, He reassures His disciples that when they're put on the spot, God will speak through them. Look at verse 19 with me. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, go back to the first century and imagine for a bit. Jesus' initial followers, people like fishermen, people from rural Galilee, they were going to be dragged before the intelligentsia of their culture, you know, the religious leaders, the secular leaders. These guys aren't barristers, right? They're not professional speakers. It would have been incredibly intimidating for them. What a great encouragement it would have been for them to know that when they were put on the spot, God was going to be there speaking through them. And if you read about some of these encounters in the book of Acts, you will see that God did clearly give them great wisdom in the things they said in such situations. And the same thing can be true for us. Uh, when we're put on the spot for our faith, we can pray to God that He will speak through us and help us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to prepare what we might have to say at some time. I mean, the Apostle Peter himself, one of Jesus' initial followers, writes in 1 Peter 3, the book, one of the books he wrote, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So, it's good to be prepared so that we can know the sorts of things to say. You know? What do you believe? Well, this is what I believe. Why do you believe it? Oh, here's why I believe it. But even when we're prepared, it can be intimidating when we find ourselves in situations uh, and it's, it's great to pray that God will give us the words to say. Uh, when I was back uh, at university, I was invited along to a Baha'i meeting. Baha'i is sort of this um, other religion and uh, someone invited me along because I thought, oh, Steve, you're a Christian, you're religious, you'll probably enjoy this. Anyway, so I went along just intending to listen and sit quietly and, you know, participate. But as the um, evening went on, it was sort of like a Baha'i Bible study group, but they weren't studying the Bible, of course. Um, people kept asking me questions, which I answered. And so I'd answer them in accordance with my Christian faith, which then promoted more questions. And it, I worked out after a while that a lot of people were interested in what I had to say, and some people really were not interested in what I had to say and were wishing to heck that I wasn't there. But they kept asking me questions, so I just politely answered them. And I, I, I realised afterwards that I actually said some things which were... I probably hadn't said before that I was saying things which were actually above <laughs> my probably knowledge or intelligence level at the time, you know, like I sort of thought, wow, it, it was almost as if God gave me the answers uh, or made me say some unexpectedly wise things in that encounter and I sometimes reflected on that and sort of thought maybe that's an example of the sort of thing which is being talked about here. So, there's an encouragement for when we are in situations like that. Now, there's another encouragement in this uh, section which I'm just going to mention, it's in verse 22 which says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So, I mean, no matter what uh, we're going through, uh, if we stand firm, we're saved. A lot more could be said about that, but I'm just going to move on to the next section now. 
So, God doesn't want His disciples, His followers, to be surprised by opposition. But He also urges, in verses 26 to 33, He says, don't be afraid. And in fact, He says, don't be afraid three times in this short section. He says, don't be afraid in verse 26, in verse 28 and in verse 31. And each time, He gives a reason not to be afraid. So, let's quickly look at those three reasons. Firstly, verse 26, don't be afraid because justice will be done. Let me read. So, do not be afraid of them, that's the persecutors, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I think what that is referring to is when Jesus returns, all will be revealed, justice will be done, the truth will be out. Sometimes Christians uh, in various parts of the world face horribly unfair, unjust, persecution and sometimes when you or I have to read about it, you can just, your blood boils when you see some of the things which happened and it must be really discouraging for people when the perpetrators of this sort of persecution seem to be getting away with it Uh, but the encouragement is here that justice will be done. So, for those Christians imprisoned in Iran or in China or even Christians in the West who have their jobs lost or hindered or held back because of their faith, you know, justice will be done, that is an encouragement which we can have. The next encouragement not to be afraid is actually a pretty interesting one and I wonder whether um, everyone here will find it very encouraging or not. (laughs) Uh, I guess whether you find the following encouragement encouraging really depends on how much of a biblical worldview you have. I wonder whether you noticed verse 28. It says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In effect, he's sort of saying there, look, don't be afraid of those persecuting you. I mean, all they can do is kill you. That's the most they can do. Is that encouraging? All they can do is kill you, that's right. I mean, they might torture you a bit beforehand and make life miserable, but at the end of the day, once you're dead, their impact on you is gone. But God will look after us, if we're His people, for eternity, okay? And the persecutors can't touch eternity. All they can do, the worst they can do is kill you. But after death, God will look after us for eternity. Do you find that encouraging? Now, if this world is the be-all and end-all for us, that that's all we think about and all we care about, this will not be encouraging in the slightest. But if we have a biblical picture, a bigger picture, which sees this world as the beginning of eternity and that our eternity is secure if we stick with God, then it is encouraging. No one can touch that. I guess the question is, where is our heart and what do we fear? Do we fear people more or do we fear, in a good way, God more? It's a good question, isn't it? Uh, In the 16th century, uh, it was a period known as the Reformation and uh, the Reformation in Europe was a time of great political and religious turbulence and in England, uh, for a while, the the King was Henry VIII, who was very much involved with the Reformation and uh, look, if you were around at the time and you were a minister or whatever, you had to sort of be a bit careful what you said in sermons because if you said the things which the the, the King didn't want you to say, um, your life could be in danger. And then when, you know, Queen Mary comes along a bit later, you know, the people who were good with Henry are now, you know, you had to be very careful what you said in your sermons before the monarch. Now, there's a guy called uh, Henry Latimer, or Hugh Latimer, sorry, who was a great English Christian reformer and he found himself preaching once before King Henry VIII. Now, I'm not sure whether the following Latimer said to himself as he was about to preach or whether someone else said it to him, but whoever said it, it's interesting. So, before he gets up to preach, there's the following... Latimer, Latimer, 
thou art going to speak before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who is able, if you think fit, to take thy life away. Be careful what thou sayest. But, Latimer, Latimer, remember thou art also about to speak before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Take heed thou dost not displease him. <laughs> so I guess the question there is for Latimer, who, who did he fear most? Who did he care about most? Was it God or, or people? Yes, but people can only impact this life, but God can hold us secure for eternity. Better to um, pay attention to God over people. So, people can only touch us in this life. It's the third encouragement, which many of us might find easier to get a handle on, but all of them are important. The encouragement is, don't be afraid, because God cares for you. Now, as some of you may know, because um, I've mentioned it once or twice over the years, the following verses, 29 to 31, have been personally very helpful to me in my life. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I suffered depression for about a year and there were three Bible passages which I found particularly helpful uh, when I was going through that very difficult year. Uh, and one of the passages was Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Let me read it out to you. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. Now, why was that helpful for me? Why could that be helpful for you in any difficulty? Why could that be helpful for anyone who was facing the difficulty of persecution? Well, it's because it's saying, in, I guess, a pretty poetic sort of way, that God cares us for us and understands us. Firstly, He cares for us. I mean, He says He cares for sparrows. Now, sparrows are pretty small birds. In fact, they're probably amongst the smallest and the least of the birds. But if God cares even for the sparrow, how much more is He going to care for you when you're going through a difficult time. And what's with the hair on the head bit? Well, um, many of us, just looking around, I can see that many of us love our hair. There's some wonderful hair here I'm looking at and, you know, obviously I'm sure many people here pay great attention to, you know, combing your hair and curling your hair and straightening your hair and just generally loving your hair. But do you count your hair? Have any of you ever thought, oh, why don't I count how many there are? I mean, I can probably do it easier than some of you. But, you know, we don't, we don't know how many hairs are on our head. But the Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on our head. The point here is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, the, the benefit of this is, when we're going through a difficult time, let's say persecution, alienation at school because you're a Christian or at university, you're in the workplace or whatever it is, sometimes you might think, no one understands what I'm going through. No one knows how I feel. Well, maybe they don't. Sometimes you might think, I don't even understand how I feel. And perhaps we don't. But God does. You see, God knows us even better than we know ourselves. So I find this section really helpful and encouraging because God understands us and God cares for us. Now, notice it doesn't say here, don't be afraid, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. It says, don't be afraid, God cares and understands. Sparrows will still fall to the ground Christians will still be persecuted, but God's people are never outside of His understanding and care. Then there's another encouragement in this section as well, which I will just mention briefly to draw to your attention that it's there, and it's in verses 32 and 33, where it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Now, that's quite an incentive, isn't it? Imagine Jesus acknowledging us 
before his Father in heaven because we've stuck at it at following him. What, a, what an inspiration that would be. But then note, as is often the case in this passage, the other side of it as well. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. All the encouragements here are premised on the basis that we keep going, that we stand firm as Christians under persecution. Now, the final section, uh, verses 34 to 42, I've entitled, Don't Lose Heart. And I gave it this heading because I want to remind us that there will be conflict. The conflict can be very personal, but it is absolutely worth going through. So, in verse 34, Jesus engages in more very straight talk where he says, do not, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, you know, Jesus has often says some pretty interesting, tricky things, and I think he's being a bit tricky here, because of, Jesus, of course, does bring a message of peace, which is of peace with God, which can then can promote peace with others. But, of course, promoting Jesus' message of peace, as is very clearly indicated here, will create divisions. Thus, he's bringing the sword, he's bringing division. So even Jesus' message of peace, obviously, uh, can cause great conflict. And this conflict can get very personal, even to the point of impacting our families. Verse 35, For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Now, note here that the sort of conflict described here is not because Christians think, I'm a Christian, my family is not, I'm going to disown them. I mean, the Bible takes families very seriously. We're supposed to, you know, pay great attention to our families. What's being talked about here is where we become a Christian and our families disown us. Not us disowning them, but them uh, disowning us. And if it gets down to whether we want to be accepted by God or by our family, we have to choose God. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, this is the sort of choice that many people in parts of the world have to make. I get a monthly newsletter from an organisation called Voice of the Martyrs, who work to support Christians suffering in situations of persecution overseas. I got this latest magazine in the month of um, March, which is this current month, and in it I read about a Christian guy from Ethiopia. And uh, his name's Jamal, and he grew up in an um, Islamic Muslim family. And he grew up a devout Muslim. He hated Christians, thought they were a bunch of idiots, and he'd often de debate and discuss with them. Anyway, there was one particular Christian who Jamal would often have discussions with, and they had discussions over a number of years. And eventually, when Jamal was 20, even though he'd been brought up as a Muslim, uh, he decided that he needed to put his faith in Christ and become a follower of Jesus. Now, he knew that when he did that, he was going to place his life at risk. And indeed, it did. Uh, when his family found out, with his father's approval, Jamal's brothers and some other men from the village beat him and tortured him, the aim being to beat him and torture him until he returned to Islam, according to the article. Uh, Jamal apparently said, I would rather die than deny Jesus, and so his father called off the beatings, figuring they weren't going to work. He said to his son, Jamal, he said, look, he wanted to kill his son, but didn't want to be arrested for it, so what they did instead, he got, his brothers burned all Jamal's possessions and they kicked him out, and the father told Jamal he never wanted to see him again, if I see you again, I will burn you alive. So, in this situation, it's not Jamal rejecting his family, it's the family, I guess, rejecting him. But I guess this story very sadly illustrates uh, the very personal nature of Christian commitment in some situations, it can even impact our families, uh, and in fact, even our very life. Look at verse 38, 
Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, following Jesus certainly impacted Jamal's life uh, in the sense that he was putting God first, it impacted the way he lived, but it also placed his life in physical danger as well. Now, can I say there are so many benefits to being a Christian. Our sins are forgiven, we're reconciled with God, we can be adopted into God's family, we are part of the larger Christian body where we can experience Christian fellowship, God promises us power, peace and purpose in this life, we can look forward to eternal life with God in the next, but also, as the Bible makes clear elsewhere, we're not immune from suffering and it is made very clear to us here, Christians will often run into persecution and the persecution can be very personal. So, I guess following Jesus and joining the church, you know, is not like joining a sports club or a craft group, it's not a lifestyle choice, it's not something we fit in and around our desires and our convenience, Jesus demands our primary allegiance, which is what this passage makes pretty clear. Now, giving Jesus our primary allegiance will give glory to God, it's actually best for those around us, the best thing we can do for our family and friends is to be a Christian and it's also best for us ourselves, but it is not always easy, as this passage makes abundantly clear. Now, what's the encouragement in this final section of the passage? Well, uh, many points could be made from verses 40 to 42, I'm just going to pull out one and that is that we may be the means by which people we care about can be saved. Look at verse 40, anyone who welcomes you, that's Jesus' followers, welcomes me, that is Jesus. Anyone who, anyone who welcomes me, Jesus, welcomes the one who sent me, which is of course God the Father. You see, if our family and friends welcome us in the sense of accepting our Christian beliefs, our Christian message, and they become saved, what a wonderful thing. We may be the means by which our nearest and dearest come to faith even if it might mean a bit of conflict before that happens. Now, Jamal, who I told you about, is still, I believe, wanting to talk to his family about his faith. When this was written, I got the impression that it hadn't really happened. But, you know, maybe he will be in the situation where that could be true for him. Let me conclude. The Bible makes very clear, all around it, through its pages, that there are so many benefits to being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus obviously demands our total allegiance, even when we run into persecution and Jesus gives it to us straight in this passage, he warns us of persecution and he says we shouldn't be surprised but we shouldn't be afraid for the reasons described and we shouldn't lose heart. So, if I was to summarise this, I might say in terms of following Jesus, it's hard but it's well, 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 well worth it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Son's teaching is just so relevant and so insightful and Lord, it's very straight talking which we see here, Lord, we do pray uh, that we would give You our total allegiance even when times are tough. We pray that we wouldn't be surprised by uh, opposition or afraid or lose heart, that we would stand firm, press on and keep going with serving You. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.